Hi, and welcome to In Search of Insight, Nootropics Depot's monthly podcast. I'm your host, Erica, and sitting next to me is Nootropics Depot's product specialist, Emil. Hey, everyone. This month, we are talking about a very important precursor to almost all steroid hormones, which is pregnenolone. Now, this might not be a hormone or a precursor that you are familiar with. However, this particular compound is responsible for most of the hormonal balancing and changes that happen in our bodies throughout our lives. So before we get into the exciting and intricate mechanisms of pregnenolone, and this new product that we have just come out with, we are going to actually discover eight new products from this past month since our last podcast episode. So without further ado, it's time for the new product segment. The first new product that we're going to discuss today is a very, very exciting product because we have been asked for years to carry this and we finally have it available for you. It's Tribulus Terrestris, and this is a product that's going to be perfect for those of you who are working on your New Year's resolutions, building muscle, getting to the gym, having motivation, and anyone who's looking for basically an extra push in terms of exercise and fitness. And um, Emil is going to tell us a little bit more about the mechanisms and the reason why Tribulus Terrestris is so good for helping you achieve those exercise goals and getting you motivated to get up in the morning and do your work and get to the gym. Tribulus terrestris is a really interesting plant. It's also really annoying actually. So it is native to Eurasia and Africa, but it has intentionally spread to pretty much everywhere around the world. And you're probably familiar with it if you, especially if you live in a slightly drier, kind of sandy soil type of climate, like most of Arizona, and you bike, then you've maybe noticed that your bicycle tires have gotten punctured by these little seed pods. Well, these seed pods are from Tribulus terrestris. And unlike many other weeds, Tribulus terrestris can thrive in dry climates. And that's why it has really spread all over the world in all sorts of different climates. But why we are interested in it is because Tribulus terrestris contains a whole host of bioactive compounds. One of the primary bioactives is protodiosin. So that's actually what we standardized our Tribulus terrestris extract to. It's standardized to 20% protodiosin. And protodiosin is one of the compounds that produces most of the benefits within Tribulus terrestris. And one of the main benefits is that it enhances the activity of an enzyme called 5-alpha reductase. And this is an enzyme that converts testosterone to dihydrotestosterone. And some of you are probably already familiar with dihydrotestosterone and you see it oftentimes written as DHT. Well, DHT, similar to testosterone, works on androgenic receptors, but with much more potency. So DHT is a much more potent androgen. It's really good for muscle building, but more importantly, it can be good for confidence. It can be good for libido and all of these things that you would uh, expect with higher levels of testosterone, more androgenic activity. So that's something tribulus stresses is really well known for. Uh, it mostly is taken to enhance confidence, uh, to enhance performance in the gym, like Erica was mentioning, and to enhance libido. 
Another interesting thing about tribulus terrestris, and this actually causes a lot of problems for livestock, especially because it is a noxious weed and can grow in fields. If livestock eat a lot of tribulus terrestris, they are also getting high amounts of beta carbolines like harmine, harmaline, some of the same beta carbolines that are in coffee and in a bunch of other different plants. For example, it's in uh, passion flower. Well, these beta carbolines they block two enzymes, monoamine oxidase A and monoamine oxidase B. And these enzymes normally break down neurotransmitters, uh, specifically norepinephrine, dopamine, uh, serotonin, and some of the other more minor ones like tyramine. When you block the activity of monoamine oxidase A and B, then this means that these neurotransmitters can increase. In low amounts, this is great, and it gives a bit of a stimulating effect, a focusing effect, a bit of a motivating and almost confidence-enhancing effect. However, in livestock, in very high amounts of them consuming these beta-carboline compounds, they can get muscle rigidity, and it can cause toxicity. So this is why you also sometimes see toxicity associated with tribulus terrestris, but this is not in humans. In humans, it's actually really safe, but in these livestock, you see this issue with the beta carbolines. Well, in human supplementation, we can keep these beta carboline levels low. The doses are a lot lower. We're not eating hundreds of grams of this plant. But we did find that within our beta testing trial of a bunch of different tribulus terrestris extracts, some were really stimulating, almost in an unpleasant, agitating way. So we went through a lot of different tribulus terrestris extracts. We tried them out on ourselves, and we found one, which is the one we're currently selling, uh, that had a very high concentration. Well, I guess not very high. There are much higher protodeosin extracts out there, but in our opinion, 20% protodeosin is still very high, considering what the native concentration of protodeosin is in a plant. So at this nice 20% protodeosin level, this extract produced the confidence effects without a lot of the agitation we found in some of the other extracts. For example, we tried one out uh, that had 40% protodeosin, which was coming from Bulgaria. Bulgaria is a really famous growing region for tribulus terrestris, by the way. Uh, but this one seemed to contain a lot more of these beta carbolines. We are doing some lab testing on this now to uh, verify whether or not this is the case. But long story short, we really went through and beta tested a lot of different tribulus terrestris extracts to make sure that the effects profile is exactly what we want. This nice confidence boost, this nice strength boost, and not a whole lot of agitation. And looking at some of the threads on Reddit, it seems to be really well received. There do seem to be a few of you who want a little bit more of that pushy, uh, almost agitated energy. Uh, if this is the case, you can actually stack it with Vignatex. Uh, this is something I have tried recently with our uh, Tribulus, and it really ramps up that almost agitated, um, zippy, powerful energy. Uh, would be really good before going for a run, uh, going to the gym, etc. As you were describing the effects that Tribulus is having on livestock, Vignatex is the first other product that came to mind because of my own experience with Vignatex and how intense the motivation and uh, somewhat agitating 
stimulation was. So I was thinking Tribulus Terrestris sounds like it would be kind of a good partner in crime with Vignatex if you really just wanted to take your ambition and motivation uh, to the next level. Absolutely. And Vignatex is actually, uh, it contains two compounds, isophytexin and phytexin, and these compounds inhibit monoamine oxidase B. And monoamine oxidase B is mostly specialized for norepinephrine and dopamine, which can give you those type of effects. So that's why Vignatex can have this effect, and that's why Tribulus terrestris can have this effect. And because uh, the beta-carboline levels are varying within Tribulus terrestris from extract to extract, Combining the Vignatex with our current Tribulus terrestres will make it feel a little bit more like one of those more pushy, almost like agitated energy type of Tribulus terrestres extracts, which can be great if you want aggression in the gym or you want a real big confidence boost or you're really dragging and you really just need a kick in the pants, then that combination is good, but for most people, our tribulus stresses will strike a really nice balance. It will be still very energizing, uh, very confidence boosting. And in the long term, if you keep taking it, then DHT levels will start going up a little bit. Testosterone levels might even go up. So it will have benefits in the gym. It will have benefits in the bedroom. Uh, it will have just benefits for confidence if you need to give a speech, if uh, you work as a manager somewhere and you need to be a little bit more assertive, something like that, tribulus stresses would be a great choice. Is there a big difference between the motivation and stimulation between Vignatex and tribulus terrestris? They're pretty similar, but one thing Vignatex lacks is that dihydrotestosterone effect and some of the other androgenic properties. So with Tribulus terrestris, you are getting a similar type of focus and motivation type of drive, but it is also being laced with this androgenic confidence boosting, libido boosting thing. How I can describe it, when I take Tribulus, I feel more manly, uh, which is maybe a bit of a vague way to describe it, but I just feel all of those attributes of, you know, all of those YouTubers on uh, uh, going on and on about being alpha male and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I don't really believe in any of that stuff. But if there was anything that can make you feel more like that kind of alpha male thing, it is dihydrotestosterone. And I do feel that with tribulus stresses, especially when you take into account the, its stimulating properties. So I've noticed that. Another interesting thing is it makes me feel like I'm 18 again. And this is something you hear a lot. And of course, like I'm only 28 years old, so I, I, I can't, I'm still very young. Uh, but you hear this oftentimes with older individuals who start taking testosterone enhancing supplements. They say, oh, I feel like I'm 18 again. I feel like I have the libido of an 18 year old again, et cetera, et cetera. What I notice more with it is when I was 18, I was skating a lot. I was uh, doing extreme sports. I, I wanted to go out and be social. You and were doing Olympic weightlifting. I was doing Olympic weightlifting and things like that. Snowboarding. So, snowboarding, yeah like a lot of just biking in extreme cold yes just like as extreme as it could get i wanted to do it and a lot of my friends were like that and you feed off of that energy 
And I haven't experienced that in a really long time until I started beta testing these tribulus extracts. I just had this strong urge to go out and skate again, to meet up with some of these friends and to have that camaraderie again, to, to do some of these silly things. I think also for me, I have to be a little bit careful with it because, uh, and I said this on one of the Reddit threads right before we released it, but it can also kind of push me into that jackass idiot territory where I'm probably going to hurt myself because I'm <laughs> not 18 anymore and I am a little bit older and you know I I'm not as limber anymore uh, 10 years I, is a long time <laughs> yes 10 years is a long time so the even as a 28 year old I can start feeling the effects of age but one thing I didn't have when I was when I was 18 I could very quickly recover from an injury that's obviously a little bit less now so I do have to be a little bit careful with it because it does give me this big confidence boost and maybe gives me an unrealistic idea of what I can achieve but I do think it is a, a very interesting effect for me because it will allow me to maybe do some of the things that I've been putting off because maybe I've been a little bit anxious about uh, going out and skating again or maybe picking up an, a new sport like I would be very interested in learning how to kite surf now that we're living in the Netherlands and yeah, this is a pretty demanding intense and scary looking sport too so something like tribulus could help me kind of get over those maybe initial boundaries and approach it with confidence and focus and drive so you have the motivation and the vitality of youth but the wisdom of age, a lovely combination. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, that sounds like a pretty um, comprehensive understanding of the benefits of Tribulus and a little bit of the background as well. So let's move on to our next new product that has been released since our last podcast episode, which is the topic for today's podcast. We're just going to give you a little bit of an overview uh, talking about our new micronized pregnenolone tablets. Yeah, so I don't want to spoil the, the secret too much since we'll be talking about it. So let's just talk more about why it's micronized. So these hormones, they absorb relatively well, but they can use a little bit of extra help. So, By these hormones, which ones specifically are you mentioning? So yeah, thanks for uh, specifying that. Things like DHEA uh, and pregnenolone basically just those two actually okay uh, they are slightly bigger compounds uh, they can be a little bit bothersome to absorb so one thing we did for this was uh, micronizing the pregnenolone uh, this reduces the particle size which makes it more likely to um, dissolve within the gastrointestinal tract and then it also makes it more likely that it can absorb into the blood so this is one thing we did. Another thing we did is we put it in a quick dissolve tablet. Now you all probably know what to do with it. We can't really say it on the product description because technically uh, for something to be a dietary supplement, you have to swallow it. Uh, of course, if you let this quick dissolve tablet dissolve in your mouth, you're not doing that, but you can let it stay under your tongue a little bit and use your imagination there that will definitely help increase the absorption a little bit. So we talk about this a lot uh, about sublingual absorption. So when you have very high doses of something, I get asked this a lot. Can I put you know 500 milligrams of powder under my tongue and have it absorb? The, the short answer to that is basically no, uh, because our sublingual membrane, so that's the membrane under your tongue, 
it's quite small and it can't absorb a lot of one compound. So it seems to cap out at about five or 10 milligrams. Then you reach kind of a point where it won't absorb into the sublingual membrane anymore because the compounds that have absorbed have not been cleared out into the bloodstream yet. That process can take a little while. So basically for sublingual dosing, you always wanna be under that 10 milligram mark, ideally under the five milligram or right at the five milligram mark. And with pregnenolone, we are right at the five milligram mark. So it also being micronized, it has a nice little flavor to it. The uh, tablet dissolves really quickly. So it's ideal for this kind of dosing. And of course you end up uh, swallowing quite a bit of it too but you can help enhance the absorption a little bit there with the micronization and the quick dissolved nature of the tablet. Now, we will really get in depth uh, in this podcast because this podcast is about pregnenolone, but one thing pregnenolone does, it is the master neuros or the master steroid hormone precursor so the way things like testosterone uh, progesterone uh, dihydrotestosterone even estrogen and cortisol are produced it all comes from cholesterol so cholesterol gets converted into pregnenolone and then pregnenolone is what gets converted to all of these other steroid hormones so without cholesterol without pregnenolone can't have testosterone synthesis happening. You can't have dihydrotestosterone synthesis happening. You can't even have estrogen or cortisol synthesis happening. So when we feed pregnenolone into the steroidogenic enzyme pathway, then we can actually help enhance testosterone production because we are delivering the main precursor. And we'll talk about this. We'll also talk about why dosing is important because I'm sure maybe you've taken a uh, pregnenolone product in the past and it's been dosed at 25, 50, maybe even 100 milligrams. And you're thinking, wow, five milligrams, that sounds really low. But trust me, there is a very um, logical purpose to this dose. And we will get into that in the body of the podcast. Awesome. So before we move on to the next new product, just a very quick overview for some of the benefits of taking a pregnenolone supplement, particularly this low dose that we have just come out with, are for mood, cognition, and of course, hormone support and hormone balance overall. So we're going to leave the rest of the details and the nitty gritty and these fascinating mechanisms of action for a little bit later in the podcast. So let's jump to our next new product release. This particular type of product is one that I get very excited about uh, because as you all know and have heard over the course of um, these 16 In Search of Insight episodes, I love mythology and whimsical things and flavors and uh, fantastical ideas. And this next product is one that particularly excites uh, my memory and my senses. And it is our new supercritical CO2 Mer capsules and solution. So if anyone is curious about a special stack uh, for any of you herb lovers or herb freaks, as I referred to you in our last podcast episode, go check that out. We were talking about our supercritical coriander extract. But now let's get into the specifics of our new myrrh extract that comes in both a solution and capsules and talk about where this comes from and what kinds of benefits it has for us. 
Yeah, like you said, myrrh has a really long history of use. If you look in religious texts, you see it in all sorts of uh, big organized religions. You see it in their religious texts, big mentions of it. If you go even further back, you know, to the ancient Egypt and you look at some of their uh, inscriptions and things like that, you see many mentions of myrrh. So it comes from in ancient Egypt they referred to it as the land of Punt uh, nowadays that we know that as Somalia and in Somalia you had these interesting trees the myrrh trees and when you score the myrrh trees a sap comes out of it uh, and or a resin and the resin hardens outside on the bark and when you harvest this resin that resin is myrrh and when you smell this, it has a wonderful aroma. And when you burn it, that aroma becomes even more pronounced. So it was used as an incense. Interestingly enough, in um, ancient Egypt, it was even used as an embalming type of thing for mummies. So you would use natron, which is a bit of a salt type of thing that was being harvested in Egypt. And then you mix it with myrrh and then that is part of the embalming uh, mixture that they use. Part of this is because myrrh has antimicrobial properties. But probably because it smells so nice and it almost has like an intoxicating aroma when you smell it, it can really put you in a nice mood. But when you take it orally too, it can help enhance mood. But more importantly, it has pretty pronounced pain management effects. And in the couple of weeks that we've uh, since the release, I've been monitoring some of the Reddit threads, and it seems like a lot of you are noticing exactly what we noticed when we were beta testing this, is that for acute pain especially, this is one of the most effective things out there. It gets to work really quickly. The effects of it are quite pronounced, but not overwhelming at all. So it's a very functional pain supplement. Um, it's very sustainable too. So for pain, it is fantastic. For mood, it is really nice. And the way in which we obtain this extract, as Erica mentioned, is through supercritical CO2 extraction. We go into the ins and outs of supercritical CO2 extraction a lot more in our previous episode, which was about supercritical CO2 extract of coriander. But the short of it is, CO2 can exist in multiple different forms. You've probably played around with dry ice at some point. That's the solid form. If you've had a fizzy drink or a beer or anything like that, the bubbles, that is gaseous CO2. We obviously hear about CO2 acting as a greenhouse gas. Uh, our cars and uh, electricity plants and things like that, they emit CO2. But if you take CO2 and you pressurize it at the right temperature and the right pressure, it can briefly exist as a sort of fluid and you call this a supercritical fluid. And this fluid then gains the property of being able to very nicely extract certain compounds, especially volatile compounds and especially compounds that are normally quite sensitive to heat. And this is something with myrrh, the active compounds that we extracted in the myrrh normally will not make it through in a myrrh extract because they are heat sensitive and heat is usually used quite a bit during the extraction process of botanicals. Is this particular compound ferandinines? 
Yes, that is one of them. Pheranodines. Yes, that is the class of compounds, and there are two compounds in there. One of them is curazine. The other one has a really long, complicated name, and it currently, unfortunately, escapes me what it is. But it is indeed the pheranodines. These are heat-sensitive compounds, and you need then a low heat extraction method and supercritical CO2 extraction is a perfect low heat extraction method then. So as far as we know, this is the only myrrh extract on the market currently that is being standardized for pheranodienes. And the pheranodienes are what are causing the really interesting pain management effects. So you need these. In fact, there really aren't that many myrrh extracts even out there, which is surprising because it's been used for such a long time and it has such potent effects. However, maybe the reason why there aren't more of these extracts on the market is because of the source where the myrrh is actually coming from, because myrrh is also coming from the same tree that we get frankincense from. That's actually not true. Oh, really? I was reading that in my research. (laughs) So... uh, We actually will talk about frankincense for one of the other product releases that came out just this last Thursday, uh, Casperone, which is an extract of Boswellia serrata. And the resin of the Boswellia serrata tree is where frankincense comes from. Ah, okay. The tree where uh, myrrh comes from, actually the botanical name uh, escapes me right now but it is a it, it's a different tree it is not boswellia serrata so they are two different trees two different types of resin oh okay that makes sense because they're often talked about in like religious texts for example or just other combinations myrrh and frankincense going together but yes. they're not coming from the same tree and actually that was going to be a question i asked i was going to ask you what's the difference between this resin that that myrrh is coming from versus the resin that frankincense is coming from but the answer is actually it's the tree it's yeah it's the tree and but they are oftentimes used together and of course i think one of the most famous mention is with the the three wise men they brought myrrh frankincense and gold Um, so those were the, the three things and at the time you know myrrh is and still is it's hard to get a hold of it it's it's hard to harvest it these trees are growing in very arid environments they're not super productive you have to be quite careful with the harvesting so you don't damage the trees and they can keep producing this resin year after year after year so it is in short supply and it has always been in short supply and this is why myrrh is such a precious ingredient and it's also why Strangely enough, the Egyptians went on huge journeys over the sea, something they hadn't really done up until going to the land of Punt, really, to then bring back myrrh and write about it and make drawings about it and feature it heavily and use it to embalm mummies. So it has a big history of use. It's always been important and it's always been precious. So, of course, things that are precious make good gifts. So... Gold was precious, frankincense was precious, myrrh was precious and still is precious. They made great gifts back then and now probably they do too in certain cultures. Uh, Not as much in our cultures, uh, but yeah, myrrh is a very interesting ingredient. 
and extracting it properly and standardizing for those foranodynes and being able to prove this with analytical lab testing, both on the manufacturer's side and then again on our side, probably makes this, of course, we don't want to toot our horn too much, but it's pretty much the most high quality myrrh extract currently on the market, uh, if I have to be honest. And I haven't really seen anything else like it out there. It gets that gold star of approval uh, from our perspective, but we want to hear what you think about it. And so definitely let us know what has your experience been with this supercritical myrrh extract. Um, Tell us how you are liking it and the effects that you notice from it on Reddit. Our subreddit is r slash Nootropics Depot, if anyone is wondering. And we are reading your posts, we're responding to them. Uh, There's lots of Nootropics geeks and also botanical geeks on there just like you. So be sure to subscribe to our subreddit and jump into the conversation. Now that we've talked about the uh, fantastical and precious background of this myrrh extract, I think it's time to move on to our next new product release, which is tetrahydromagnolol. And this is going to be an interesting one to talk about because um, this is another interesting kind of tree-based active, or should I say just supplement in general, coming from the magnolia bark tree. Magnolia tree? Magnolia officinalis tree. Thank you. Magnolia officinalis tree. So obviously Emil has way more background on this. Tell us a little bit about tetrahydromagnolol and what kind of benefits it has for us as a supplement. Well, since we were just talking about myrrh and it being a perfume and incense ingredient, magnolia officinalis, the bark, the leaves, um, the flowers that this tree produces all have been used in perfumery as well. Magnolia smells fantastic. But in the bark, you have some very interesting compounds. And two of the main compounds are magnolol and honokiol. Now, magnolol has some mild endocannabinoid effects and honokiol has some more pronounced GABAergic effects. So we have actually a magnolia bark extract and when you take this extract it has a very nice calming effect it's great for sleep it also has a mild uh, pain management effect but for years now i've been really interested in some of the metabolites and of course it seems like this is a bit of a, a trend with me if we look at cognance and the fact that with cognance we basically pre-metabolized a bacopa monieri extract because some of the metabolites actually are the more interesting compounds and in magnolia bark this is the same thing and i've had my eye on tetram tetrahydromagnolol for a really long time and finally we were able to find a source. Uh, I will also mention then that we are, I think, I haven't been able to find it anywhere else, we are currently the only vendor of this material. So tetrahydromagnolol, we start with a magnolia bark extract, we extract high concentrations of magnolol from there, we purify the magnolol, and then we react the magnolol with uh, molecular hydrogen. This process is called hydrogenation, and it reduces the double bonds in magnolol. And when the double bonds in magnolol are reduced, we end up with tetrahydromagnolol. Now, 
this probably sounds like gibberish to a few of you, maybe most of you. Uh, so let's get into the pharmacology changes that happened then. So magnolol has some minor affinities towards the cannabinoid CB2, the cannabinoid CB1, and the cannabinoid GPR55 receptor. When we hydrogenate uh, magnolol to tetrahydromagnolol, then for the CB2 receptor, which is the main affinity also for magnolol, the affinity goes up 19-fold. So it is 19 times more potent at the cannabinoid CB2 receptor. And it has mild affinity for the CB1 receptor. So with this in mind, it's almost a bit of a selective cannabinoid CB2 receptor agonist. And this is really interesting. There's a lot of ongoing research about this because when you activate the cannabinoid CB2 receptor, it is a uh, what they call a non-psychoactive receptor target, uh, which for uh, pain management effects comes in handy. And this is certainly the case with tetrahydromagnol. It has very unique pain management properties. Very different actually from MER. So I guess I didn't really go into exactly what MER is doing. This is the most interesting thing about MER. It is acting on central opioid receptors. So it is having this very mild opioid effect almost. And that is why it has a very profound and quick acting pain management effect. When you activate the CB2 receptor, similar things happen too. So one of the downstream processes of CB2 receptor activation is that you release some of these endogenous opioid compounds too. So that is part of where the CB2 uh, mediated pain management effects are coming from as well. But CB2 receptors are widespread throughout the body and they have a big effect on immune cells that produce inflammation. So when you activate CB2 receptors, you can dampen these immune cells from producing these pro-inflammatory compounds, thereby activating CB2 receptors has a very profound inflammation dampening effect. And this is then in addition to CBT agonism causing some of this release of these endogenous opioids. So together, CB2 agonism makes for a really interesting option for pain management. I think one of the most interesting things about the CB2 receptors, though, is that they are widespread throughout the gastrointestinal tract. And when you activate CB2 receptors, especially in the gastrointestinal tract, it can alleviate a lot of gastrointestinal discomfort. So this is one thing I wrote about quite a bit in the description for tetrahydromagnolol, and I'll tell you a little bit more briefly here too, but in my opinion, tetrahydromagnolol makes for a really interesting option if you are having that gastrointestinal discomfort and you want to aim for more gastrointestinal comfort. Um, another thing that tetrahydromagnolol is quite good at is blocking the GPR55 receptor. And this is maybe a receptor you've never heard of, and that's not strange because we only discovered it in 1999. So it is a very recent discovery. And there's still quite little known about the GPR55 receptor. What we do know is that it is also a cannabinoid receptor, but it is kind of in its own class. So it's sometimes referred to as an orphan cannabinoid receptor. And 
Basically, the way we can figure out how a receptor works is we need very selective agonists or antagonists. So we can activate the receptor and, and observe the responses within cells, within animals, and within humans. Well, for GPR55, up until just a few years ago, there haven't been many selective GPR55 antagonists or agonists. However, since we do have a few now, we do know that when we block GPR55, we can uh, produce a pretty potent inflammation dampening effect too. So when you take this into account together with the CB2 agonist effects of tetrahydromagnol and then the GPR55 antagonist effects, there's a two-pronged inflammation dampening response that's happening. So for pain, tetrahydromagnol is great, and I find that anecdotally, when I take the 20 milligrams of tetrahydromagnol, I find a very quick dampening of pain, especially if I'm having some muscle pain. Uh, I get migrainey sometimes, and my mood goes down a little bit. Tetrahydromagnol is great for that, especially because it is also in quick dissolve tablets. The dose is a little bit higher than that 10 milligram limit, but it does mean you do absorb some of it sublingually, and then you can absorb the rest just by swallowing the rest of the quick dissolve tablet. So it does mean that the effects of tetrahydromagnol quick dissolve tablets kicks in really quickly. So it's a great one if you're having some acute pain, just take one of the quick dissolve tablets and fairly quickly you'll notice a dampening of pain. Um, this can also be the case obviously not as fast, but if you're experiencing gastrointestinal discomfort, then just take it orally. You want it to act within the intestines, so some of it will end up in the intestines that way, and you will have some smoothing out of that gastrointestinal discomfort. Another interesting thing uh, about CB2 agonism, and this is much less the case than with CB1 agonism, but CB2 agonism can enhance mood, uh, mostly by dampening neuroinflammation, but neuroinflammation has a really negative impact on mood, so mitigating this with a CB2 agonist like tetrahydromagnol is a really good option for kind of circumventing some of that low mood, brain foggy kind of experience. This is a product that I'm really interested in uh, for myself, but also for anyone who is menstruating, because I think there are a couple really, really important points that this particular supplement hits um, that are common with PMS and just the menstrual cycle in general, and one of them being digestive discomfort. Um, and this isn't something that really occurred to me in the past, although I have taken um, other magnolia bark extracts from Nootropics Depot as well. But I really want to try this out for myself um, to see what it's like to experience that kind of relief. And the other part that you mentioned about the low mood brain fog, this is another um, issue that I experience specific to my menstrual cycle. And it sounds like tetrahydromagnol is hitting these particular places that I find are difficult to address with other supplements, um, but cool that it comes in this kind of simple package and uh, sounds to be really, really effective. So I haven't tried this product yet myself, but I'm really curious to add it to my sort of PMS stack and see how it works well with other calming and physically relaxing and uh, pain management supplements that I like to take. Yeah, I'm very curious too what your experience with it will be. And 
there are actually two other products within this new uh, release that just happened on Thursday that also will have effects there. Uh, so for example, Casperum, which you mentioned earlier, this is a product from Indenia. They are an Italian Swiss manufacturer that we've worked with a few times now. So all of the phytosomes on our website, they're from Indenia. So you are already familiar with some of their products as uh, Cursifit and the Berberine phytosome. Um, now we are also releasing two new products by them. Uh, well, we have already released, we just released it this Thursday. So it is Casperum, which is a phytosome of Boswellia serrata resin, frankincense, and Mitodol, which is a combination of ginger and Acmela, which is kind of similar almost to Szechuan pepper, where when you chew on it, it produces this nummy, tingling effect. But let's focus actually on mitodol coming from the menstruation um, mention that you just made, Erica, because ginger uh, helps with nausea too, and that I know can be an issue as well. Uh, ginger also helps with inflammation. So with mitodol, you have two things happening. One, the ginger is hitting the 5-HT3A receptors. These are serotonergic receptors in the gut that control nausea. And when you block them, uh, you have a slight nausea-reducing effect. So this is a really uh, good point of ginger. Then ginger itself has inflammation balancing effects and also in the gut. So for people with gastrointestinal discomfort, ginger has always been a very famous ingredient. But now we're adding in this acmela and acmela contains this really interesting fatty acid amide type compound called spilanthol. And spilanthol, similar to tetrahydromagnolol, actually is an agonist at the CB2 receptor. So you also get this effect. And then in addition to a CB2 receptor agonist, spilanthol with the combination of gingerol and shogol, which is in the ginger, you get an effect on FA. This is the fatty acid amide hydrolyze enzyme. And this enzyme breaks down endocannabinoids like anandamide, 2-AG, even palmitoyl ethanolamide and oleamide. All of these endogenous cannabinoids are broken down by FA. So when you inhibit the activity of FA with something like mitodol, then there are going to be more endocannabinoids floating around. And these endocannabinoids are also acting on CB2 receptor as agonists and even on CB1 receptors. So when you take it all together, this ginger extract and this acmella extract and these endocannabinoid effects, I think this one would be a really good one for adding into a PMS menstruation stack. That's awesome to know. and. Uh, it reminds me of a story I want to tell about ginger specifically. I used to work at the farmer's market at a produce stand, and there was a day where I was having really bad cramps and was experiencing some serious uh, issues related to my period. And I went over to um, this coffee and tea stand, and the person who was there said, how are you feeling? And I said, yeah, I'm having some menstrual cramps, and he gave me ginger tea. And it really was relieving, um, even just a simple fresh ginger tea. So the combination of ginger and acmella sounds like a really, really good idea to add to this kind of P 
PMS and just general relief from these issues of menstruation uh, for a stack because the ginger tea just by itself was really soothing and calming and it definitely helped. Um, but I know for a fact that taking these uh, extracts that are standardized and that are really meant for these targeted uh, issues is going to give me even more relief. At least that's what I hope. So I'll let you know in our next podcast after I've tried it myself. Yeah, I'm definitely curious, both with tetrahydromagnolol and mitodol, what your response will be. Uh, tetrahydromagnolol probably will be a much more potent agonist at the CB2 receptor uh, co- compared to mitodol, but mitodol has a slightly more comprehensive effect. One thing you could also do, of course, is stack the tetrahydromagnolol with the mitodol. Some other interesting things actually about the uh, mitodol is that apparently acmella biomass, so just the, the flowers, the leaves, all of these things, the quality of it on the market is really, really low. So when Indenya wanted to make an extract of it, they were having trouble finding something that was actually worthwhile to make an extract out of. So their response to this was to actually buy land in Sardinia, Italy, and start their own um, acmella farm using low intervention practices. So the acmella that is in mitodol is actually from European origin, from a farm that Indenya owns themselves. So they are growing the acmella and extracting the acmella. This is almost like the vignerons in uh, in the wine world where they grow their own grapes and they make wine from it. And just tasting these wines, you always know that it is higher quality because the winemaker had influence from the start of the, the raw material to actually making the end product. And Indenya has that going on here too, where they have control from step one all the way to the end. They know exactly what they're growing, uh, how to get the highest level of spilenthal, and then how to extract it properly. So you could consider mitodol as a farm to capsule supplement. For the acmella, yes. For the ginger, they're not growing their own ginger. Uh, Italy is probably not the best climate to grow ginger, so that is probably still coming from Southeast Asia. But the acmella definitely is farm to capsule kind of thing, which is interesting. And it's especially interesting when you consider then that the ginger and the acmella are also being put in their phytosome technology, which helps with absorption. Um, This leads me to think about the potential for a standalone acmella supplement. I'm not sure if that's something that we have planned or if that's even interesting depending on its uh, properties or its benefits, but it does make me curious. It it makes me curious too, and it actually makes me curious to obtain just some of it uh, because you can use it as a a cooking spice. So uh, one thing I I didn't go over yet actually is that acmella has the name toothache plant And the reason for this is when you take the flower buds and you chew on them, the spilenthal is released and it acts on voltage-gated sodium channels, which produces a numbing sensation and also a tingly sensation. So if any of you have ever consumed Sichuan pepper or had some like a really powerful Mao Pao Tafu or something like that, you will have noticed this almost tingly numbing effect. So that's in Szechuan pepper, but it's also in these acmella um, flower buds. And similar to Szechuan pepper, these 
Acmella flower buds have a very almost citrusy uh, flavor to it. So apparently it's a really nice cooking spice as well. And of course, the uh, sodium channel blocker effects of um, spilenthal in Acmella also has topical uh, pain management effects, but it will also have internal pain management effects. So it's a pretty comprehensive product, in my opinion. Very cool. So now it's time to finally move on to talking about Casperome, which is the Boswellia phytosome product that we had mentioned earlier. So Emil, tell us a little bit about the Boswellia tree and Casperome as a supplement. Yeah, so the Boswellia tree also comes from a similar area as the myrrh tree. And when this tree is scored, it exudes a resin. And when that resin is dried and harvested, you get frankincense. Again, when you burn frankincense, you get this almost classic incense aroma. It's also used in perfumery. And if you walk into old churches, especially uh, in Europe, uh, for example, we were just in Portugal and walking into some of those really old churches, you are almost smacked in the face with this years, maybe hundreds of years of burned frankincense in these old churches. It's in every nook and cranny, there is frankincense aroma coming out of it. So this is one of the main uses for frankincense. It is being used as an incense. It has a little bit to do with the name too then, of course, frankincense. But in frankincense, you have a bunch of triterpenoic acids, and these are oftentimes referred to as well as the boswellic acids. Uh, one of the two, actually, of the most popular ones or most well-known ones are KBA and ACPA, AKBA. Uh, Indenia, however, in their product, decided to not just focus on KBA and AKBA, like most other products on the market, but they went for all 11 boswellic acids. So it has a much more full spectrum effect. And these triterpenoic acids have really profound effects on inflammation levels and also on joint health. And the interesting thing about Casperome, and you don't often see this with many ingredients, but Casperome actually has 10 human clinical studies on it. So a lot of the benefits have real human evidence behind it uh, with big, well-designed studies. So you can be sure that when you take Casperum, you are going to receive exactly the, the benefits that you really want. And these benefits are, as I mentioned earlier, a pain management effect. But a really interesting thing is that it helps modulate intestinal motility. So in Indenia's marketing material, they actually recommend taking uh, the Casperum when you go traveling. Uh, oftentimes when you're traveling, your intestines can be a little bit out of whack. Your bowel movements can then also be out of whack. So having something that can help normalize intestinal motility is really interesting. And there are some studies with this on Casperum too. So I think also for the uh, menstrual cycle thing that you were mentioning earlier, Erica, uh, having Casperum can be very interesting. Uh, Casperum with the triterpenoic acids that are in Boswellia can also have a beneficial effect on the gut microbiota composition. So just for um, all of the bacteria in your stomach, they can be a little bit happier when you're taking Casperum. But more interestingly is, of course, the pain management and inflammation regulating effects, and especially for joints. So Boswellia serrata extracts have for a very long time been well known to be great for joint health. Uh, 
Indenya did human studies on this too and showed that when taking Casperum, there were significantly less joint stiffness, uh, joint health goes up, joint comfort goes up. So that's a really interesting use of this product. Um, then also for musculoskeletal soreness. So if you've been to the gym and you're experiencing the DOMS, so delayed onset muscle soreness, a lot of this is being caused by inflammation. So if you can dampen this inflammation with something like Casperum, then you can probably get back into the gym quicker. You can recover faster from that muscle soreness. So for exercise recovery, it's also a really interesting uh, ingredient. And Indenia actually also did some studies on athletes and showed how it impacted their musculoskeletal inflammation and things like that. So for again, pain and inflammation, this is a really interesting product. And of course, this release uh, just this last Thursday is chock full of pain management supplements. Uh, they do have a little bit of overlap, but they are all different. Uh, and then if we go back to uh, last month's release with the myrrh, that again works in a completely different pathway. So we have a lot of different things to choose for for pain management now. And you can kind of go through and try out a bunch of different things and see what exactly matches your personal biochemistry and what has the best pain management effect for you. For me, my favorites out of all of these have been the tetrahydromagnolol and the myrrh. Those are definitely on the top of my list. But for more daily uh, pain management effects, I actually really like the Boswellia serrata and the Mitadol. I take uh, ginger anyway, so I will probably end up switching over to the Mitadol because it has a really good ginger extract. And I really like that CB2 cannabinoid effect that the Acmela has. So overall, I think if I were to personally uh, choose some of these, and I already have actually, I have some myrrh at home, I have some tetrahydromagnolol, and then mitadol will be coming in. Casperum, uh, I currently don't really have any issues with my joints, but for example, my mom does. So this could be a really interesting supplement for her, so I'll get her a bottle. So just keep that in mind, since we did really so many different pain management supplements, they all do have different uses. Pick the one that works best for you. Um, based on what I just said, based on the descriptions, or, you know, order all of them and test them out when you're having pain and see what works well, and then stick with that. I know pain management can be extremely personal. It can be extremely difficult to figure out. So having the option to try out a bunch of different things and then focus on a few that work well for long-term supplementation can be really beneficial. Another important uh, aspect to mention about pain management, as well as the um, inflammation support that the Boswellia or the uh, Casperum supplement has in particular, is that these types of pain, the musculoskeletal pain or um, inflammation, these aren't just specific to people who are going to the gym or athletes. Um, we can experience these kinds of issues from all different types of activities. And to give you a, a slightly different perspective, um, I've recently gotten into knitting some more as well as playing the flute. And these are two activities that require um, small muscles. 
and a different kind of posture. And I find that after knitting a sweater, my hands and my tendons are a little bit sore and my shoulders can be slightly tight. I might be bending over and looking down a little bit more than usual. Um, and this kind of activity, it's obviously, this is not exercise. This is not like a high impact workout at the gym, but I really do notice that my body is reacting to this kind of intense and focused um, new activity using different muscle groups. And it might be the same for anyone who is working in your garden or someone who is a chef or cooking using tools, um, standing, bending over for long periods of time. All of these kinds of movements can cause inflammation and discomfort. And so even if you're not a supercharged athlete or you're going to the gym every day, um, you might be surprised by how much a product like Casperum or some of these other pain management supplements can help you just have a better quality of life on a daily basis because these small muscle pains and this kind of low level inflammation that those of us who are doing maybe less impactful activities but still active all the time, we don't necessarily notice that this pain is happening, but when it goes away, when we can kind of uh, mitigate it with these supplements, it can have a an incredible transformation for our mood. So I just thought I would drop that in there for any of any of you who who hear these sort of pain management uh, supplement ideas and think, mm, I don't know if that applies to me. Um, if you're a human and you're moving and you're using your body and you're making things on a daily basis, you might have uh, a need or a reason to try these out for yourself as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. And another point to make too is, you know, some of the things in our diet can cause inflammation, especially if we're eating things that produce more arachidonic acid, more saturated fats and things like that. So just keeping in mind that maybe inflammation levels are higher than normal anyways with our stressful lives and maybe some environmental uh, pollution things that can enhance inflammation a little bit too depending on where you're living having something that dampens inflammation can be really beneficial of course this gets taken out of context a lot too uh, in some of the hippie circles where you know the inflammation gets taken out of context a little bit and it gets put into anti-inflammatory diets and things like that maybe that's a little bit on the extreme side but inflammation is there it's always there it's there throughout your body it's also there in your brain so having something that dampens inflammation on a daily basis can actually be very beneficial it can offer neuroprotective effects it can offer protective effects on your joints so also as a preventative thing taking something that has inflammation regulating effects is really good so then something like casperone or mitodol tetrahydromagnolol um, they can all be really interesting options to look at. So now we have come to our last new product release, which is really similar to a product that we carry already, but there is a slight twist and we're going to tell you all about it. It's our new vitamin D3 and K2 with MK4. And many of you probably take a vitamin D supplement. I take our uh, vitamin D3, and by our, I mean Nootropics Depot's vitamin D3 and K2 supplement already, but I want to know what is special about this MK4 and what makes it different from the vitamin D that I'm taking right now. 
So the vitamin D3 that you're taking right now uh, contains MK7. So MK7 is the form of vitamin K2. So in our title, we say it's vitamin D3 plus K2. Well, K2 can exist as two different forms, MK7 and MK4. MK4 is the form that you normally see in your diet. Uh, It's present in nature in food. MK7, not so much, but MK7 uh, is very bioavailable. However, over the years, we have discovered that not everyone can handle MK7. So some people experience uh, heart palpitations with MK7. Uh, Some people experience weird pressure in their chest or head with it. So, and this is apparently a a well-known thing and and it just has to do with the form of vitamin K. So we decided to release something with the other form of vitamin K, MK4, which we were told by a lot of these customers worked a lot better for them. So they couldn't handle MK7, but they could handle MK4. Now, MK4 does have significantly lower bioavailability, but we did account for this by making a significantly higher dose. So for the MK7 one that you're taking, Erica, there's 100 micrograms of MK7, vitamin K2 in there. In this new version, there is 1000 micrograms, so one milligram of MK4, so 10 times higher, and this should account quite nicely for the bioavailability differences. The nice thing is, It's not necessarily more special than our other vitamin D3 product. It does exactly the same thing. It's just more tolerable for more people. So if you know that you're sensitive to MK7, now you can go for the MK4 version. If you don't know if you're sensitive to MK7, but you want to play it safe, then just go for the MK4, because not a whole lot of people seem to have issues with MK4. Now, let's just quickly cover some of the basics of vitamin D3. This is a really important vitamin, and it's a vitamin that is produced through synthesis in our skin um, with the help of UVB radiation from the sun. So UVB radiation hits our skin, and then it interacts with cholesterol, and then it turns that cholesterol into vitamin D3. Then that vitamin D3 turns into the active hormone form of vitamin D3, and then that can interact with vitamin D receptors. And this is really important for bone health, it's important for mood, uh, it's important for cardiovascular health, um, a lot of different, even testosterone synthesis, so a lot of different processes rely on adequate levels of vitamin D. But because you need to expose your skin to UVB radiation from the sun to get vitamin D, You can imagine that for most of us, especially living in colder climates or even really hot climates like in Arizona, where you don't really want to go out in the sun during the summer anyways, you can have very low levels of vitamin D because you're not exposing your skin to the sun. So you see this in colder climates that have milder summers. Uh, Individuals might have low mood during the winter because they're not getting outside, they're not getting a whole lot of sun, it's quite dark all the time. And if you then look at what is causing this, a lot of the times it's that their vitamin D levels have plummeted. So this is why vitamin D3 supplement or vitamin D supplementation in general is very popular. Now, I keep mentioning vitamin D3. This is because there are two different forms of vitamin D. You have vitamin D3 and you have vitamin D2. D3 is 
generally seen as the form that absorbs better and it is the one that uh, converts to the most potent active hormone form of vitamin D and has the most pronounced effect on the vitamin D receptor. Vitamin D2, while not horrible by any means, just doesn't absorb as well as vitamin D3 and converts to a different active form, which doesn't have as strong of an effect on the vitamin D receptor. So based on this, we have chosen for vitamin D3 in our uh, vitamin D product, and we've stacked it with vitamin K because one of the main benefits of vitamin D is that it helps keep your bones nice and strong. Vitamin K is necessary for this in conjunction with vitamin D, so there is a significant amount of synergy between them, and you need vitamin K anyways. Uh, a lot of people are a little bit low on that too, so combining the two made a lot of sense. Then, of course, we also put in vitamin C, uh, not necessarily for any sort of benefit, but mostly because vitamin C uh, is an antioxidant, and vitamin D3 and vitamin K2 can quite easily oxidize, so it's in there as a stabilizer, but it also synergizes with vitamin D. So vitamin D is also very important for immune function. Um, when you take it during the winter, your immune function is stronger, and vitamin C obviously is also quite important for immune health. So having all of these together, then using vitamin C as a stabilizing agent instead of something else like um, a rosemary extract or vitamin E, it made the most amount of sense to go with vitamin C. So with this product, you get a really solid dose of vitamin C, you get an excellent dose of vitamin D3, which is, by the way, um, 125 micrograms, which translates to 5000 IU, and you get a really solid dose of vitamin K2, this time in the form of MK4 at a dosage of 1000 micrograms. So it's a really comprehensive supplement. This is also why we sell it in a 365 count bottle. So you can just take it all year round. Most people are low on vitamin D all year round. So that's why we have this uh, large size that makes it a lot more affordable in the long run because larger sizes we can offer much more competitive pricing. So. This is a great one to just add to your stack, one to keep in there and just never run out basically. And that's how both Erica and I do it. Uh, we notice a lot of benefits. Although uh, having moved to the Netherlands now, uh, the shipping is a little bit more difficult. So we ran out for the last uh, two weeks. And I do have to say, I feel like my mood is a little bit lower and I'm not as focused. What do you think? I was, Really glad to hear you say that, actually, because I thought to myself, yeah, I don't think that I'm experiencing the same normal mood changes that I, I do when I'm taking vitamin D. I feel like things are a little bit muted. Um, I do find it slightly harder to focus, but um, I couldn't really pinpoint that it was because we were missing the vitamin D, but that makes me even more excited to receive our package uh, because... I think with this gray weather that we have here, it's raining quite often. Um, having a vitamin D supplement just to keep our levels normal is really important. But with that additional um, aspect of the mood boost, I'm really looking forward to that. Me too. I'm very curious now. It, it has honestly been years that I've been without vitamin D for this long. 
I think it's almost been three weeks now. So having that extra dose of vitamin D3 once it comes in actually today, uh, I'm very curious uh, what I will notice acutely since it has been so long uh, that I haven't had it consistently in my system. Yeah, it gives us a really great opportunity to bioassay something that we normally would never have a break from, uh, which I think can be really good. And, you know, it happens from time to time when we run out of a product. Um, and I certainly know that um, having magnesium back in our lives is going to make a huge difference also. Um, but the vitamin D3 and K2 is a real essential that we take absolutely every day. So. I'll be glad to have uh, our full daily stack kind of fleshed out again. So that brings us to the very end of our new product segment. We had a lot of new products to share with you this month. I find this particularly fun because some products we have tried, some products we have not. Emil usually tries all of them. I'm not always able to try them before we discuss them, but I always think it's fun to explore new things, to talk about new potential products because it really gets my mind going for new stack ideas as well. And it also gives us an opportunity to let you know uh, what's on the horizon and what's coming through the pipeline um, for Nootropics Depot and give you a little bit of an idea of what to expect with these new products. So if you have questions about them or you want to share your own experience after taking them for some time, give us a little review. Um, go check us out on Reddit. Our subreddit is r slash Nootropics Depot and let us know what you are thinking about these new product releases. You can also see hints and announcements for new product releases that are happening in the future on our subreddit. So it's a really good place to go if you're curious, if you have questions, you want to have conversations about your daily stack or new products you're trying with other Nootropics geeks just like you. So now we are going to jump into the body of our podcast, talking about the master precursor and the great ally to our steroid hormone balancing processes, which is Pregnenolone. Yeah, as Erica mentioned, pregnenolone is really important for steroid hormone synthesis. So it is, all steroid hormones are being synthesized from pregnenolone. If you go a step further up, you have cholesterol. So a lot of you probably already know this. Testosterone, dihydrotestosterone, estrogen, uh, cortisol, all of those hormones are being derived from cholesterol. But cholesterol, the first step is cholesterol turning into pregnenolone. This is also a bit of a rate limiting step. Uh, it's because of the enzyme that converts cholesterol to pregnenolone, which is the cholesterol side chain cleavage enzyme. It can get um, saturated pretty quickly and then no more cholesterol is being turned into pregnenolone. Now, when we supplement with pregnenolone, we can bypass this rate limiting step of steroid hormone synthesis. So we can just kind of inject pregnenolone into that pathway and then boom, we can have higher levels of steroid hormone synthesis. And to help visualize this a little bit more, we will pull up a graphic on the screen right now. And this shows you the whole steroidogenic enzyme process. So as you can see at the top there, you have cholesterol, then the cholesterol side chain cleavage enzyme is turning the cholesterol into pregnenolone. Now pregnenolone can go a couple of different directions. The first direction, as you see there, is towards the right. So you are getting progesterone synthesis. And this is being done by 3-beta-hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase. 
3-beta HSD for short. And 3-beta HSD turns pregnenolone into progesterone. And then progesterone can turn into a few different things. But let's focus for the first step of pregnenolone conversion first. So you have progesterone as one possible pathway. And then if you look down pregnenolone via the activity of 17-alpha hydroxylase can turn into 17-hydroxypregnenolone. This is now a precursor to a few other steroid hormones. If you keep following it down, because this is really the pathway we're interested in, then 1720-lyase turns 17-alpha-hydroxypregnenolone into dehydroepiandrosterone, which we also know for short as DHEA. This is also on the supplement market, and you can also take this orally. Uh, it is just one step further down from pregnenolone. Pregnenolone can convert to progesterone, which then we will talk about why this is interesting in a second, but DHEA cannot turn into progesterone. Now from DHEA, we have two different pathways. We can keep moving down and DHEA turns into androstendiol and then androstendiol can turn into testosterone. So this um, conversion of DHEA to androstendiol is happening due to an enzyme called 17-beta-HSD. And the same enzyme, 3-beta-HSD that we talked about earlier, that's converting pregnenolone to progesterone is actually also converting androstendiol to testosterone. So this is really the, the big one we're interested in, going from pregnenolone to 17-alpha-hydroxypregnenolone to uh, DHEA to androstendiol to then testosterone. Another pathway that DHEA can take is through that same 3-beta-HSD enzyme Dehydro or DHEA can turn into androstendium. And androstendium through the enzyme 17 beta HSD can also turn into testosterone. So there's two different ways of getting to testosterone from pregnenolone and DHEA. Now, if we go up a little bit again to progesterone, Progesterone through an enzyme called 21-hydroxylase can turn into deoxycorticosterone, which can then turn into corticosterone through 11-beta-hydroxylase, or we can have progesterone turning into 17-alpha-hydroxyprogesterone, again through that same enzyme, 17-alpha-hydroxylase, and then 17-alpha-hydroxyprogesterone can turn into 11-deoxycortisol, and then that same enzyme, 11-beta-hydroxylase, can turn 11-deoxycortisol into cortisol. So that's where we actually get our stress hormones from. Those are all still coming from pregnenolone. Now, if we look at one other pathway that progesterone can take, progesterone through a few different other intermediates can turn into allopregnenolone. And the allopregnenolone conversion is happening because of an enzyme a lot of us are already familiar with is 5-alpha reductase. And actually, if you scroll down a little bit on this image, then you will see 
uh, right underneath testosterone, that dihydrotestosterone is also being produced by 5-alpha reductase. But some of these progesterone intermediaries through the same enzyme can turn into allopregnenolone. And allopregnenolone is a really potent neurosteroid and actually has GABAergic effects. So this is where some of the mood effects come from with pregnenolone. And this is why I was saying earlier that while DHEA is also a really interesting option, pregnenolone is a great option because it has a little bit more of those mood effects. And it is a little bit further up. But now it's going to get complex. And this is because depending on how much pregnenolone you're feeding into the steroidogenic enzyme system, you can have different fates. So to really simplify it, at low doses, pregnenolone kind of equally turns into 17-alpha-hydroxypregnenolone, uh, DHEA, uh, androstendione, andros stendiol and testosterone. When you increase the amount of pregnenolone that's feeding into the system, you more and more start feeding into progesterone and you start losing conversion of pregnenolone into DHEA and androstendione and eventually testosterone. So the first thing that gets shut off actually is pregnenolone converting into testosterone. So it's the one that's furthest away from pregnenolone. This is which the one that suffers the quickest. So as the pregnenolone dose goes up, testosterone synthesis starts dropping. Then you still remain uh, the 17-alpha-hydroxypregnenolone synthesis and DHEA pregnenolone synthesis persists. But then if you keep increasing the dose more, then these shut off too. However, what never shuts off is progesterone conversion from pregnenolone. So that means that with low doses of pregnenolone, you get this nice androgenic effect. With ever increasing doses of pregnenolone, you actually get more progesterone. And progesterone in low amounts is great. However, progesterone in high amounts actually has anti-androgenic effects and has negative effects on libido. So there is one study that does a really good job of modeling this, and this is where we get a lot of this information from. So we can see that as we increase the supply rate of pregnenolone, the fate of pregnenolone conversion changes a lot, and then we can have less androgenic effects and more anti-androgenic effects. And this is kind of interesting, and I feel like within the, the strength and bodybuilding world, we often think higher is better. And this is probably why we're seeing really high doses of pregnenolone being utilized. For example, 25 milligrams already is quite a high dose, uh, but then you see 50 milligrams, you see 100 milligrams, you see people taking these 100 milligram doses multiple times a day. So with that in mind, you're really increasing the pregnenolone supply, supply rate a lot. And then you are going further and further away from those beneficial uh, androgenic effects that you want. Now, on various fora, uh, so, for example, on the Ray Peat forum and on Reddit, people have noticed that with low doses of pregnenolone, they have increases in libido, they have more confidence, they recover quicker from workouts, etc., etc. Things that are very characteristic of increasing androgen levels. However, these same people have noticed that as they increase their pregnenolone dose, they start 
experiencing the opposite actually reductions in libido feeling a little bit sluggish less confident things that would indicate higher and higher progesterone levels and these anti-androgenic effects kicking in so that really explains for one why our pregnenolone is those low at five milligrams now if you're like me and you don't have a strictly scientific background that information might feel super overwhelming um, and a bit confusing, but the one really important thing that I find interesting about pregnenolone and I've experienced from taking it myself is that um, a low dose is going to give you more benefits that you actually want. Less is more in this case. And I'm not sure if the people taking pregnenolone are, or if, if the sort of market share of people buying pregnenolone are more uh, men or women, but I know that for myself when I was taking pregnenolone um, before Nootropics Depot started carrying it, I noticed that it helped me to build muscle. It definitely helped my mood. Um, and overall, I found a lot of health benefits from it. And so I'm kind of curious, is there any sort of difference in benefits or um, do you know if the sort of market for pregnenolone is more for men, more for bodybuilders, or is it sort of a mix? It's definitely sort of a mix. So both the market for DHEA and pregnenolone is quite mixed, but it is skewed towards men quite a bit, especially older men. So for example, DHEA is oftentimes seen as kind of one of the youthfulness hormones uh, because it is a precursor to some of these androgens. So older men tend to like this product for that reason, and it's marketed towards older men for that reason. Pregnenolone fits in a little bit of a different category because it is a little bit more uh, catered also towards women because of the progesterone conversion that's happening. So I would say probably more catered towards men, but as we've discussed in a lot of our episodes, especially some of our earlier episodes, women also need testosterone. So pregnenolone then is a really interesting addition because women have pregnenolone in their systems anyway, so why not enhance it just a little bit more? And then you can feed the steroidogenic enzyme system a little bit more and have higher testosterone levels. That's good to know. And perhaps it's also something to consider for um, women who are postmenopausal because hormone levels are changing quite a lot during menopause and perhaps pregnenolone is also being affected by this process in which case supplementing it could help bring back some balance absolutely especially considering as we talked about in some of our previous podcast episodes that in order to make estradiol or estrogen uh, this is one of the the main estrogens e2 estradiol e2 the, the level of estradiol drops quite significantly after menopause because there is less testosterone synthesis happening and you need testosterone in order to generate estradiol. Uh, and this is happening through the aromatase enzyme. And you can actually see this on the graphic that is still up on the screen. Uh, both androstendione and testosterone convert to estrone, estradiol, and then later to estriol. So all of the estrogens are coming from these androgens and by proxy, all of it is eventually coming from um, pregnenolone. So without pregnenolone, you can't have estradiol, estrone and estriol. Uh, 
So for postmenopausal women or just women in general that might want a little bit more support to those hormone systems and actually for men too, and I'll touch a little bit more on why this is important in a second, but having higher levels of testosterone synthesis happening will be beneficial for overall hormone profiles. And now why this is important for men. So uh, a lot of you have also noticed this actually with Tangad Ali. So Tangad Ali is a pretty strong aromatase inhibitor. So over time, you will get more and more testosterone, but you'll get less and less estrogen. And low estrogen levels in men can actually negatively impact mood. It can negatively impact libido. It can make your joints hurt a little bit. So keeping your estrogen levels up is really important. Contrary to popular belief, estrogen is still important for men. And we have discussed this quite a bit at length in other podcasts. But I do think it's worth mentioning again, since we're on the topic of hormones and balance for men. Absolutely. And this is really apparent if you look at, for example, horny goat weed, which a lot of men take for libido. Well, one of the main effects of horny goat weed is that it induces this aromatase enzyme. So it produces more estrogen and the active compound icarin within horny goat weed actually also acts on estrogen beta receptors. And by extension, another really popular bodybuilding supplement amongst men, beta-ectosterone, it doesn't have any androgenic effects, actually. It acts on the estrogen beta receptor. And when you activate the estrogen beta receptor, you have increases in things like insulin-like growth factor, which can really help with muscle building. And this is why beta-ectosterone works. So estrogen is important for muscle building. It's important for mood. It's important for libido. It's important for bone health. It's important for um, balancing the effects of testosterone, um, joint health, unless I mentioned that one already. So estrogen is important. And that brings us also to pregnenolone stacking together with, for example, Tongad Ali. So when you stack Tongad Ali, which enhances all of these stereogenic processes too, and kind of uh, modulates the feedback loop in which testosterone is produced, where estrogen actually ends up blocking a pathway further up in the brain, which then shuts off testosterone synthesis, Tongad Ali Eurocomenon more specifically within Tanganali can modulate this feedback loop and then make it so that the stereogenic enzymes are actually producing more testosterone, even when there is a feedback loop telling your body to stop producing testosterone. So it's really interesting then to take Tanganali together with pregnenolone because you are giving the main substrate for testosterone synthesis together with something that enhances overall stereogenic enzyme activity, which is needed for pregnenolone to turn into testosterone. But more interestingly, is if you enhance pregnenolone levels, then you're enhancing 17-alpha-hydroxypregnenolone and DHEA. And DHEA is turning into androstendium, and androstendium can turn into testosterone. And DHEA is turning into androstendiol, which can also turn into testosterone. And then that testosterone can turn into estradiol. But if you go a little bit further up, you can also see that the androstendium, which is being converted from DHEA, can also convert through aromatase to estrone. And then estrone 
can convert through 17 beta HSD to estradiol. So when you increase pregnenolone feed rate, so there's more pregnenolone in that steroidogenic enzyme system, then you can actually increase estradiol levels through, through two separate pathways. One, testosterone through aromatase, and two, androstendione through aromatase. And another interesting thing, if you scroll up a little bit, is that progesterone turns into 17-alpha-hydroxyprogesterone, and 17-alpha-hydroxyprogesterone through 17-20-lyase can then actually turn into androstendium. So, and then androstendium through aromatase can turn into estrone, which can then turn into estradiol, again through that 17-beta-HSD enzyme. So with this in mind, with pregnenolone, you are getting lots of different angles of enhancing both androgen synthesis like testosterone and dihydrotestosterone, but also estrogen synthesis. And this makes it a perfect addition to any um, testosterone boosting stack. And that's kind of what this whole title of this podcast is hinting at too. So you take pregnenolone with Tongadali, then you increase the chances of even more testosterone synthesis and you reduce the chances of estrogen levels dropping. Same thing for cystange tubulosa. Cystange tubulosa, for example, uh, works mainly by enhancing the, all, the activity of all of these steroidogenic enzymes. So when you feed more pregnenolone into that system, again, remembering that the initial conversion of cholesterol to pregnenolone is a rate-limiting step in testosterone synthesis. So we can bypass this with pregnenolone. And then cystange tubulosa can increase all of the steroidogenic enzymes that we need for eventual testosterone synthesis. So when we supplement pregnenolone and cystange together, we increase the rate of testosterone synthesis even further. Then, of course, it, it has already been a very famous stack, stacking cystange and tongadali together, mostly also because cystange is increasing luteinizing hormone LH levels, which then further helps testosterone production in a similar fashion to, for example, Fedoja agrestis, which we covered in depth in our uh, in episode six, I believe, or seven. Erica, do you remember which one was the testosterone-focused one? Ooh, I don't remember right now off the top of my head. I think it was seven. It was either six or seven. It was the one where we also touched on a lot that was said in the Joe Rogan uh, podcast with Andrew Huberman. We touched on Fedoja Agrestis that was being brought up there. Still to this day, it's now almost a year, or actually it is a year later. We still don't really know if Fedoja Agrestis is safe, but cystange tubulosa, which we do know is safe, is having similar effects on luteinizing hormone, which can then further help increase testosterone. But we are getting a little bit off topic here, so let me reel it back in to pregnenolone. Basically, pregnenolone together with Tangadali and cystange, those three would make a really powerful stack for increasing overall androgen levels. Another thing we can add in, for example, is Primavi shilajit, which there is some research on shilajit showing that it enhances steroidogenic enzyme activity, almost in a similar manner to uh, cystange tubulosa. So that can be another thing that stacks incredibly well together with pregnenolone. I'm really curious about how pregnenolone would stack with an ashwagandha supplement, because ashwagandha is another one of these products that 
is uh, told to be beneficial for testosterone production and just general hormone balance as well. So do you think this would make a good combination? Well, it's actually really interesting that you bring that up because ashwagandha has been shown to increase DHEA levels. And that has to be done, of course, through enhancing uh, the synthesis of DHEA, which would have to come through 17-alpha-hydroxypregnenolone. So uh, if ashwagandha is enhancing DHEA, it means that it is probably increasing the activity of 1720 lyase. And I wish I knew this off the top of my head. I would kind of have to dig in a little bit deeper for this. But I would wager a guess that uh, ashwagandha is increasing the activity of 1720 lyase, which is increasing the conversion of 17-alpha-hydroxypregnenolone to DHEA, which then DHEA can increase testosterone levels. So if you're supplementing with pregnenolone, and you stack it with an ashwagandha supplement, then the, uh, the active or the mechanism that is um, allowing for more testosterone within the ashwagandha, it can pull perhaps more pregnenolone to create DHEA. So it's more of like a fully mm, charged up system, if you will, getting enough pregnenolone in the beginning of the stage and then allowing the ashwagandha to do the work to convert um, this DHEA. It has plenty of materials to work with, is another way to put it. Does that make sense? Yes. So basically, because ashwagandha is increasing DHEA levels, and because now, if we're looking again at this graphic, we know exactly where DHEA is coming from. There's only one possible pathway, in, in this system at least, going from pregnenolone, then to 17-alpha-hydroxypregnenolone, and then through that enzyme 17-20-lyase, we are ending up with... DHEA. But that does mean we need pregnenolone for that DHEA to get synthesized when we take ashwagandha. So what we are noticing with ashwagandha is just an increased rate of DHEA synthesis. So, so then the if we feed pregnenolone in it, then we have higher levels, even higher levels of DHEA synthesis. So the two would stack very well together. Okay, so perhaps the pregnenolone is like the gas and the ashwagandha is like the foot on the pedal and the DHEA is the speed that is increasing. Basically, yeah. That, that's definitely a good way to do it. Like, or almost like the pregnenolone is the fuel for the engine, and then um, ashwagandha is the pedal that's turning that fuel into forward motion. Okay, I see. In, in which case, the forward motion would is be DHEA. the DHEA. Okay, yes. cool. And then that DHEA can then turn quite readily into... Uh, androstendium and androstendiol and then those two can both turn into testosterone so that's why increasing DHEA levels is quite interesting for enhancing testosterone levels and like you said uh, ashwagandha has been shown to increase testosterone levels and it is likely through this system so that's a, a really good suggestion that you made there ashwagandha would go well in that system too okay now Thank you, by the way. Now, I'm curious about this curveball. Um, it just popped into my mind. I, I want to ask because we haven't talked about Panamax in a long time. I'm not taking any, any more in my stack, and I don't think you are either. But I do recall having conversations about the estrogenic benefits from uh, ginseng extracts. Am I correct on this? Yes, but it is not necessarily because it is enhancing estrogen levels. It's because the ginsenocytes within ginseng are acting directly on estrogen receptors. So similar to something like beta-ectosterone or icarin from horny goatweed, 
activating the estrogen beta receptor that is somewhat similar to what the ginsenocytes in Panax ginseng are doing. Okay, but with that in mind, I'm still curious to know, would there be any specific benefit to combining or stacking pregnenolone with something like Panamax or beta-ectosterone uh, because pregnenolone is still the precursor for estrogen or um, estradiol and then the Panamax would be activating these receptors, which would allow for some kind of beneficial effect? Well, think about it in this way. If the ginsenocytes are binding to the estrogen receptors, mm -hmm. then it means that estrogen actually cannot bind to those receptors because ginsenocyte is already there. Think of it like going to a restaurant and it's fully booked and you want a table. You can't just boot people out of uh, a table, out of their chairs and go sit there. And that's kind of similar how it works in the brain with receptors. So if the ginsenocytes are actually binding to those estrogen receptors, then estrogen itself can't necessarily bind. So I see. So if, it would be for a little example, bit of a, a contradiction then because having extra pregnenolone to make uh, estrogen within the body, it's not necessarily going to have any kind of benefit because if you're taking Panamax at the same time, those ginsenocytes are taking the place of estrogen. And, and this is a very simplistic view of it. I was more trying to explain it in the sense that, let's say the Panax ginseng, the ginsenocytes within it, were making the estrogen receptors more sensitive instead of directly binding to those receptors. Ah. Then, if you had higher levels of estrogen, then there can be more estrogenic activity because the estrogen receptors are more sensitive and now there is more estrogen. But in this case, because the ginsenocytes are directly binding to these estrogen receptors, there's not going to be a lot of interplay there, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. One reason why you would want to take Panax ginseng together with pregnenolone is because Panax ginseng has also been shown very minorly, though, to enhance testosterone synthesis, again, likely happening through some of these enzyme systems. So then stacking pregnenolone together with Panax ginseng would have a beneficial effect. But more interestingly, and... Let's see, I think we've covered the, the hormone side quite extensively now. And now we actually have to look as well, as Erica was mentioning earlier, pregnenolone has a very nice mood effect. And of course, the mood effect can come through the androgens. So we know that when we increase testosterone levels that we can feel more confident, uh, we can feel more relaxed. And actually, let's cover the 5-alpha reductase really quick since we were earlier talking about tribulus. So a little bit more hormone stuff real quick. So, like we mentioned earlier, tribulus terrestris through its protodiosin content can enhance the activity of 5-alpha reductase. Now, if we're still looking at this graphic that's up on the screen and you look at where testosterone is, then underneath testosterone you see dihydrotestosterone and you see that the enzyme required for this conversion is 5-alpha reductase. So then taking pregnenolone and tribulus terrestris together could actually, one, increase testosterone synthesis, and two, actually enhance dihydrotestosterone synthesis. But this also comes in handy when we talk about the neurological effects of pregnenolone itself. So, pregnenolone, besides being a steroid hormone precursor, is also known as a neurosteroid, 
which means that pregnenolone kind of works like a neurotransmitter. So it can bind to specific receptors in the brain and produce fairly pronounced effects. And pregnenolone itself can activate a really unique receptor called the sigma-1 receptor. And similar to what we talked about earlier in our new product discussion about the orphan GPR55 cannabinoid receptor, the sigma-1 receptor is kind of in a similar boat. It was discovered quite recently. It was actually thought to be an opioid receptor back in the day, and that's actually not the case anymore. It's no longer considered to be an opioid receptor. Um, but there is still a lot of research ongoing into sigma-1. So we don't know exactly what sigma-1 does. And its mechanism of action when it gets activated is quite interesting, but I'll spare you the details there since this is already a complex topic and that is even more complex. But what I will tell you about sigma-1 is that when you activate sigma-1, you can have major increases in mood and cognitive function. So sigma-1 agonists have in the nootropics community also been a big target that people want, uh, but there's not a whole lot of things that act on sigma-1, uh, at least natural and more importantly, legal things. There are some illegal natural things that act there, but of course uh, we can't discuss that and we can't make products out of that, nor are they going to be practical for daily use. But Pregnenolone does activate sigma-1 and is practical for daily use. Another one that is practical for daily use is berberine. So berberine is another one that activates the sigma-1 receptor. But other than that, there's not a whole lot. So the fact that pregnenolone acts on the sigma-1 receptor is really unique. And this explains a lot of what Erica was mentioning earlier, is when you take a, a dose of pregnenolone, you get this very acute interesting mood boost and i'll let actually erica maybe explain when you take pregnenolone what type of mood boost do you experience it's somewhat challenging to describe because it is subtle and it's deep it feels perhaps a little bit like um, my mind state is similar to what i experienced as a teenager maybe or i don't know a young adult uh, during the summers of college, basically a time when I didn't have as much to stress about, to think about. Um, and I don't know, sort of a sense of like unadulterated peace, I guess is a good way to describe it. Um, it restores some sense of relaxation and calm and focus that can be difficult to find in everyday life um, just as a as an adult person. So it's a bit of a weird way of saying that, but uh, there's some kind of like pure calm experience to it uh, that is really unique and not something that I experience from uh, any other supplement that I can really identify. Um, the other thing I notice is that it does increase confidence, absolutely. And some of that confidence comes from the uh, focus enhancing effects and from the calm but I, I do feel that it is slightly motivating and um, confidence and motivation, I think, go hand in hand together. Um, something else that was really clear to me when I started taking pregnenolone was I began to build muscle, even though I wasn't necessarily working out. 
um, but by beginning to play different instruments or having different kinds of musical commitments, uh, which this is like relatively low impact activity, but where I'm standing and I'm using my arms and my shoulders and my hands, I noticed my shoulders and my arms becoming more toned. And I noticed my core getting stronger um, just from literally standing for more hours than I normally would maybe a few months prior. Um, and that kind of muscle, natural muscle building just from like daily activity and music rehearsals was something new that I hadn't experienced before. And it was noticeable and I could see it in the mirror and I could, I could really feel that my muscles were more toned and stronger than before, even though I wasn't addressing that in the gym, it was just a result of my daily life and those activities. Um, which I think also adds to confidence as well. When you can see that you're getting stronger, um, I think that that has a really important positive kind of feedback loop. So the, the natural confidence and calm that comes from the supplement, how it feels in addition to the effects that it can have on your, on your physical body and your feeling of strength and the results of, of strength. Um, it all kind of comes together to form this really subtle but natural feeling of progress and like moving forward. I guess that's the best way that I can describe it. Yeah, and that's a really unique way to describe it. And a lot of what you described there, actually, some of that is what we're talking about currently with that sigma-1 receptor agonism. It can come from there, kind of that focus that drive, a little bit of motivation, that serene mood boost, that is something that is quite inherent to sigma-1 agonism. And then you're stacking that on top of all of the hormonal effects. So increasing testosterone levels, which is increasing confidence, which is also having a calming effect. It's having a motivating effect. And then that's also increasing muscle strength. It's increasing progress. So when you stack all of those together, you get a very unique effect. So one, sigma-1 agonists are hard to come by in the natural world, even in the synthetic world. And two, I know of nothing that can activate the sigma-1 receptor and increase testosterone synthesis. And clearly, sigma-1 agonism and increased androgenic activity is very complementary. So now we move on. That is um, pregnenolone. Now, pregnenolone can also convert to pregnenolone sulfate, and pregnenolone sulfate also has very similar effects. So pregnenolone sulfate is also a sigma-1 agonist, and it seems to maybe even be a little bit stronger there too. So both pregnenolone and its direct metabolite, pregnenolone sulfate, both have this effect. Now, if we take a step back and we go back to pregnenolone converting into progesterone, then progesterone through that 5-alpha reductase enzyme we keep talking about, the same enzyme that turns testosterone into dihydrotestosterone, turns progesterone into 5-alpha dihydroprogesterone. And then 5-alpha dihydroprogesterone through an enzyme called 3-alpha HSD can turn into allopregnenolone. So this is another conversion pathway for progesterone. We're taking pregnenolone, we are synthesizing progesterone from that, then that progesterone can turn into 5-alpha dihydroprogesterone, and then we can get allopregnenolone. And allopregnenolone is really interesting because it is a very strong positive allosteric modulator of the GABA receptor. And this means that it is making the GABA receptor more sensitive to 
already existing GABA that's floating around in our brain. And this is also what adds to that really serene feeling of pregnenolone. So pregnenolone is focusing, it's confidence inducing, but it's also calming. And actually, as we were talking about earlier with tribulus terrestris, the protodiosin content can induce 5-alpha reductase. So it can enhance the activity of 5-alpha reductase. So then if you're taking pregnenolone and tribulus terrestris together, not only can you have higher uh, chances of dihydrotestosterone synthesis, you can also have higher potential for allopregnenolone synthesis. So then you get this balancing effect of this really almost pushy confidence feeling, then being stacked with this really nice, serene, calming feeling from the allopregnenolone. So when you take all of these different things together, you get a really nice, complex um, pharmacological profile. And if we go to the whole menstruation cycle uh, topic again that we were discussing a little bit earlier, during certain parts of menstruation, I believe... Uh, right at the start, I'm a little bit fuzzy on the details now, we discussed this in one of our other podcast episodes, but progesterone levels skyrocket at a certain point. And when progesterone levels are high, it means a lot of allopregnenolone is being made. So this very almost calm, confident, creative period during the menstrual cycle is likely coming through a bit of this allopregnenolone uh, being high. But then another thing happens. All of a sudden, progesterone levels plummet, and now your supply for allopregnenolone synthesis is gone. So now you're almost having these uh, withdrawal-type symptoms, uh, which is because allopregnenolone levels drop and there's less GABAergic activity. And because GABAergic activity is great for reducing irritability and things like that, you can imagine now if you are withdrawing from this allopregnenolone, then you can become more irritable. So in that sense, for the menstrual cycle, pregnenolone can also be a very interesting option because it can allow you to enhance progesterone levels a little bit and thereby enhance allopregnenolone levels a little bit. So it could actually be good also just for general mood during the menstrual cycle. It's really interesting that you mentioned that. And uh, what I mean specifically is the serene and the specific type of calm feeling that we get from allopregnenolone, because you are absolutely right. There are a number of days during my menstrual cycle where I feel way more creative, very open, more active. Um, it's easier to focus. And there's kind of this, this beautiful, this beautiful phase or little pocket of time within which, um, I experience a very different mental state than I do at other points in the month. And that mental state is what I was attempting to describe uh, when you had initially asked me what it's like taking pregnenolone as just a daily supplement. Um, it's, it's subtle, it's deep. It's not something that can necessarily be felt or noticed if you're just going up through your day, like through the motions, you have a lot going on. But if you have time to slow down and really tap in and be mindful of what's happening in your mind and in your body, um, you might notice this kind of peaceful, calm feeling during specific times of the month if you do menstruate. And that type of feeling, that beneficial calm and focus and sort of excitement and motivation 
that's very, very similar to the feeling of taking pregnenolone as a daily supplement. So I hadn't really made that connection before you were talking about allopregnenolone and its effects specifically, but now that you have, it makes a lot of sense. I can back it up with my own just personal empirical experience. Yeah, and you know, that's also why if you take very high doses of pregnenolone, it becomes more and more calming. Because like we talked about earlier, at low supply rates of pregnenolone, you get more androgenic synthesis. You get more synthesis of DHEA, of androstendione, of androstendiol, and then eventually of testosterone and dihydrotestosterone. But the higher the dose, the less this happens and the more progesterone synthesis happens. But because now we know progesterone can turn into allopregnenolone, it makes sense that sometimes people really like the effects of a higher dose of pregnenolone. Absolutely, like I was just going to say 50 that. 50 or 100 milligrams. Yeah. And we did actually one time, uh, we were taking five milligram tablets, and one time I accidentally ordered 50 milligram tablets. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. And, and I think. I may have made a comment or maybe you made a comment about feeling super relaxed. And, um, and then you said, yeah, well, I, I ordered the wrong amount. So we've actually been taking uh, 10 times our normal dose of pregnenolone. So it's not necessarily a good thing, but it can have these like ultra calming effects. Yeah, and, and I didn't notice at first because I just thought I had ordered five milligram tablets and I see a five on there, you know, my vision is not great if I'm not wearing my glasses. So then I'm just, I'm grabbing the bottle and I'm thinking I'm taking something that's five milligrams. But then for a week or so, we were taking 50 milligrams. And at the beginning, it was great. It was really nice and calming. Um, just these classic kind of GABAergic effects. But then eventually it started to wear on me and that's when I noticed and that's when I checked the bottle because I realized something was up. I was feeling a little bit more sluggish. Um, I wasn't feeling that great. And that's because when you increase pregnenolone to such high doses, you actually almost start to limit testosterone production a little bit. So you end up shooting yourself in the foot. But maybe if uh, you know, you're menstruating and you're having a particularly tough day, uh, maybe try a slightly higher dose of pregnenolone to help smooth out that irritability a little bit. But in the longer term, just the five milligram dose is ideal because it means you get a little bit of that allopregnenolone, you get a good amount of pregnenolone, you get a good amount of uh, steroid hormone synthesis. And like Erica said, the nice thing about it is that it is subtle. You are subtly increasing pregnenolone levels. It is having a significant effect, but it is not in your face. And it means that it's nice and sustainable and you can just help enhance your overall steroid hormone synthesis, your overall hormonal profiles, and also your cognitive health and mood function and relaxation and all of that. It's a nice thing to just dial everything in nice and smooth, nice and precise with a low dose. And like you're saying, the, the subtle element of it is important and it's somewhat similar to other endogenous compounds that we take supplements for, for example, glutathione and um, NADH or, or our NAD plus stack. Um, Which, by the way, I, I will say for me, at least, the NAD plus and the NADH are not subtle. I actually took the NADH and chlorella capsules this morning and I 
get quite a noticeable mood boost, uh, uh, energy boost from it. Not necessarily mood boost, but like a very zippy energy boost. But for Erica, I, I think it, it's actually not as noticeable, right? Yeah, I I can't particularly identify uh, an increase in energy when I take these types of supplements. And maybe that's because I feel like I have a pretty high energy level like during the day, um, certainly not in the morning. I'm not really a morning person, but once I'm up and I'm moving, um, I feel like I usually gravitate toward calming supplements, not energetic or energizing supplements because I, I will get like excited about something or wound up or kind of, uh, focused on something. And then I can be like so into it that I like tense and I, I get really, just sort of hyper-focused on something. And that's why I like calming supplements because it helps me to sort of chill out and take a deep breath and like go at my own pace. Energizing supplements I find can put me over the edge. I don't really need that edge. I already got it. Um, so pregnenolone then is kind of the perfect supplement for you where it smooths those edges, but it's not necessarily so relaxing and makes you sleepy. Absolutely. Um, I was just going to say that. And I've tried... Uh, so many different calming supplements and some of the super super calming supplements i've tried they can make me a little sleepy or they can be a little bit over the top to take on a daily basis like over time they build up to this point where i feel that i lack motivation or maybe i'm getting so relaxed throughout the day that then i feel like i need a nap every afternoon which isn't very normal for me um, but pregnenolone has a very balanced and subtle enough effect it's noticeable but it's not changing kind of my everyday habits it's more so changing my mindset within my daily routine and i do feel like more open and more calm in a way that i like and that feels sustainable over a long period of time yeah so i think if we kind of summarize everything then because we really went fast and in depth in everything pregnenolone we showed you all of the different enzyme processes that are happening uh, identifying it as one of the main master steroid hormones you really need this for all steroid hormone synthesis so no pregnenolone no testosterone basically so increasing its supply rate logically and not to a point where it starts to only convert to progesterone but having a, a nice low dose being able to then enhance overall testosterone synthesis eventually dihydrotestosterone synthesis but also increasing the estrogens and um, some of these neurosteroids it's a very comprehensive supplement and it's really a nice one to take daily it's already an endogenous compound it's always there anyway you're just increasing the supply rate ever so slight and i will also mention if you still think okay the dose is too low just think about it in this sense too a lot of the melatonin on the market is at you know 10 milligrams, five milligrams, three milligrams. You hardly ever see very low doses like 0.3 milligrams. Part of this was because the 0.3 milligram or 300 microgram dosage was patented for a long time. So 
to get around this pattern, people were using high doses of melatonin. But what we en ended up finding through research is that the 300 microgram dose works much better actually than the three, five, or 10 milligram doses. This is why we sell a 300 microgram dose of melatonin. And it's also why we sell a five milligram dose of pregnenolone, even though all of our competitors are basically selling much higher doses. So sometimes, less really is more and it can be really hard to find these low dose supplements and that's part of the reason why we wanted to carry pregnenolone and part of it is erica and i have been taking it for years and some other people around the office have been taking it for a while but we were always having trouble finding a low dose of pregnenolone and monitoring some of the forums uh, especially Reddit, I have noticed a lot of you also saying, I was always looking for a low dose of pregnenolone, but it was always one, very expensive to get, and two, it was always out of stock. And I actually was in a similar boat and we stopped taking pregnenolone at a certain point because it just became too hard to get it in that five milligram dose. So Erica and I are stoked that we now have a five milligram dose from Nootropics Depot that we can take, I hope. Uh, you all really like that too and just keep in mind stick with that low dose it's going to be more beneficial and we explained now why that is and to just add a little cherry on top of that um, that statement about the low dose and the importance of that this is also perhaps an interesting option for anyone who is um, wanting to keep their supplementation more low intervention, perhaps wanting to take supplements that are going to just increase overall well-being and balance, um, but that won't have a super, super noticeable or dramatic effect. And I think for anyone who is curious about balancing hormones, who might be going through menopause, or maybe you want a subtle um, increase in your uh, performance in the gym and just your motivation, starting with something subtle and starting with something in a low dose like this pregnenolone could be a really, really nice entrance into exploring um, how do I feel when I am taking supplements that are really working within my hormonal system and knowing that you can keep that low dose sustainable for a long period of time, I think it can give us a little bit more peace of mind um, because the hormone system is quite complex and it can be hard to know exactly uh, what the best route is to take. But less is often more, especially in the case of pregnenolone. And I think this makes pregnenolone a really great option as kind of a beginner or just an introduction to hormone balancing supplements overall. Absolutely. And also to enhancing overall cognitive health in mental uh, capacity and in mood through these neurosteroid pathways uh, like pregnenolone acting as a neurosteroid and then allopregnenolone synthesis increasing so overall it's a very comprehensive in-depth supplement and it's one of my favorites i'm glad we have it now and i hope now that it's out in the world at a five milligram dose with a little bit more explanation of why you would want a five milligram dose that we see more user reports rolling in and success stories with it so as erica always mentions let us know on reddit what your experience has been with it start a thread i'm on there every day so i'll be interacting with all of you and yeah let us know what you think of it absolutely and let us know how you're liking stacking pregnenolone with your other hormonal 
balancing and general, generally focused products because Tongarali has been such a popular product and has worked so well for, for many of you. And same with Sistanche. These are some of our most uh, popular products and they can be really, really useful for a lot of the reasons we discussed today. Um, but I'm curious to know what your experience is like uh, stacking pregnenolone with these things and if you find other interesting stack combinations or if you have questions about any stack combination that we didn't discuss today uh, because there's so much to discover and the more you combine, um, the more potential synergies and or contradictions could exist, uh, but that's why you got to do the research and that's why it's awesome that we have this forum um, our Nootropics Depot subreddit available for you to ask questions, to discuss with others, and to get some good information and research um, along with your supplement journey. So with all that being said, uh, we encourage you to subscribe to our subreddit. That's r slash Nootropics Depot. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel. This is where we post our monthly In Search of Insight podcast, as well as other uh, videos and important announcements that we have. And we always love to hear from you in the comment section on our subreddit um, and emails as well. And we love to know what kinds of subjects and questions you have for uh, podcast subjects in the future. So if something comes to mind, definitely let us know, reach out to us. And as always, thank you so much for listening to the In Search of Insight podcast. We love doing research for these podcasts. We love getting in-depth on these new products that we're releasing and exploring so much of the really nitty-gritty information on the body's systems and how we can optimize our health in a sustainable way for the long term. So with that, we will see you next month in our next episode of In Search of Insight. But for now, bye-bye. See ya.